0: Hello, this is Brendan Moshe welcoming you to the programme. Today we meet the Holocaust survivor and cellist Anita Lasker-Walfisch. If somebody had asked
1: me there and then, "Oh, I hear you've been in a concentration camp, tell me about it. Where would you start, you know? Where would you start? I would have said, have you got a whole week free? I will tell you what happened.
0: All over the world, Auschwitz has become a symbol of terror, genocide and the Holocaust. The camp was established by the Nazis in 1940 in the suburbs of the city of Oświecim, which, like other parts of Poland, was occupied by the Germans during the Second World War. On January 27, 1945, surviving Auschwitz prisoners were liberated by Red Army soldiers. One of those prisoners was Anita Laska walfisch For almost 50 years, she remained largely silent about the near-total destruction of her German-Jewish family. Both her parents and grandparents perished in concentration camps, the imprisonment of her sister and herself when they were teenagers, her transportation to Auschwitz-Birkenau, and how she avoided extermination, becoming the only cellist in the camp orchestra. In her book, Inherit the Truth, which Anita laske wrote initially for her children and not for publication, she recalls her audition playing Schubert's March Militaire for the director of the orchestra, Alma Rosé, the composer Gustav Mahler's niece. She also remembers performing a solo for the infamous Dr Mengele, the ruthless Nazi concentration camp doctor. It was Anita Lasker walfischs musical talent that ensured her survival. It was only in 1996 that Anita Laskowalfisch returned for the first time to Germany. Since then, she's been frequently to read from her book and to present lectures and talk with Germans about her horrific past. I met Anita Laskowalfisch during one of these visits and asked her firstly how accurate the many accounts of the Holocaust in films and books actually are.
1: Well, I think my sister said quite right. I don't know whether she said it or I said it. There are no words to describe this disaster. I mean, these films are always a very uh, honest and very well-meaning attempt to bring the whole thing a bit nearer to to people's
0: understanding. But basically, it's not describable what actually happened there. You were silent for 44 years, in the sense that you you didn't come to Germany. You eventually came because your orchestra was coming here, and I'm wondering, what was the moment where you decided that you needed to talk about the horrible things that had happened? I never decided anything. It just so happened that it was really the 50
1: years of the liberation that liberated people, in a sense, to dare ask questions. One had a sort of hook to hang it on. You know, after 50 years of the liberation, suddenly people asked questions. And I mean, I was, it was quite surprising. I mean, I was chased from one studio to the other to suddenly talk about the Holocaust. I thought, well, what is the matter here? There was a reason to ask questions. But, you know, we used to be upset in the beginning that nobody asked questions. In the meantime, I understand quite well why nobody asked questions. What can you ask? And if somebody had asked me there and then, "Oh, I hear you've been in a concentration camp, tell me about it. Where would you start, you know? Where would you start? I would have said, have you got a whole week free? I will uh, tell you what happened. It's not a conversation piece. This is really the answer. It was completely undescribable what happened there. But uh, it's interesting that 50 years later, I mean, when the great celebration, um, took or commemoration rather, took place, People started asking questions. Now we've got 60 years. People ask questions, and it's a very good thing to bring it to people's memories, what, what happened. But not in a sense, you know, I'm always quite uh, concerned about the fact that we shouldn't put the Holocaust in a sort of bubble as something that happened, and it's finished, and it's it's in the past. It is in the past, but not really in the past, because the problem of what actually unleashed the Holocaust, is still there. I mean, we're still killing each other uh, in different ways, but we have a lot to learn if we want to learn, not just commemorate, but actually uh, learn something from the event.
0: After having experienced what you experienced in your youth, probably everything in life has had a completely different colour. There is nothing, really, that could be as horrific as what you experienced there. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I mean... (laughs) That's absolutely true. Nothing, nothing
1: in normal life compares to what we've been through. And that makes it quite difficult to bring up children, you know.
0: Well, That's what I want to ask you about, because you said also you, you never talk to your children about that. I'm wondering, how can you have a, a family and a household and, and to be actually carrying something as tragic and horrific as that with you? What sort of a mark did it make within the family?
1: Well, you mustn't think that when we were liberated, what we thought was that we have to now start again from scratch. And if you start from scratch, there isn't really too much time about thinking about the Holocaust all the time. We were very busy trying to be normal people and create something and catch up with schooling. You know, I never—I mean, I left school at a ridiculous age. So we were really very, very busy. Whether we made ourselves even more busy when we needed to be in order to not talk about it or think about it, I can't tell you now. But maybe one was madly busy to just be normal people. And there was no room really to sit down with my children and talk about what I've suffered. But people are different, you know. Some people did speak to their children. I never intended not to speak to my children. It just so worked out that we had no time, and I wanted to be a sort of mother that uh, sews on buttons and takes them to their lessons rather than somebody you know, who's been through this horrific thing. And Also, I didn't want to somehow sully my children's minds with something.
0: You said that you carried with you a lot of hatred for the Germans, and I'm wondering about the first time that you did decide to come, what you felt for the people that you saw, what you felt walking once again on German soil, and where it led you.
1: Yes, you mustn't forget that the people I'm dealing with now are a completely different generation. For me, it was very important when I first came back to Germany not to be confronted with people who could have possibly been responsible for the death of my parents, you know. I mean, I had to have that great big time lapse of almost half a century to make it possible for me to actually move about here because it would have been, I would have felt like really betraying my parents, you know. For me it was not possible to to be in Germany. But after all this time and through a whole lot of coincidence uh, that happened, um, I seem to be here a lot and I don't find it a problem because I find a lot of open-minded and very honest interest and compassion and people perhaps reflecting in what's happened which is is very uh, important,
0: I think. I'm interested to know, you present readings, of course, of of the book that you originally had drawn up for your children. I'm interested to know the reactions of people after these readings, the questions that you're asked. Uh, Yes, some questions are
1: surprising, but uh, I always encourage, uh, especially uh, young people, to ask me anything that comes into their minds without any hesitation. And, of course, there come sometimes uh, quite normal questions, like, for instance, what has it done to my belief in God or something like that, or why didn't we defend ourselves? You know, questions that spring from a normal mind, from an unadulterated mind. Anyway, I mean, I'm always very happy to answer absolutely any question.
0: What about the fact that You were German, and it was Germans that were doing this to you as well. I mean, to be German,
1: uh, you know, I always say to people that, you know, what you are born as is something you have absolutely no control over. You happen to be born in Germany, so you are German. For me to be German was a big problem after liberation, because people asked you, what nationality are you? Because there was this great big problem of sorting out this mass of humanity and to in those days to say that you are german was not a was not a very welcome thing a german was immediately then the underdog so i always had to quickly explain well i i am born here but i'm german but i'm not really german i'm really jewish and it made me realize how absolutely stupid it is to have labels put on people. I had so many labels put on me. I was a normal person, I was a dirty Jew, I was a louse, and then I was a displaced person. Always labels. We should get rid of the labels and look beyond the labels at the person. And this is really what I'm trying to achieve somehow in a very small way that people regard people as people first before they know where they happen to be born or what religion they happen to have. But you know, it's a, it's a very small drop in a huge ocean. But uh, you know, I feel if I can make uh, half a dozen people think differently, uh, it's already better than doing nothing.
0: What about today the role of Israel in your life and the activities of the Middle East? The Middle East is certainly heartbreaking, but
1: I mean, it just shows you You see, what could you do with all these Jews who actually have survived after the idea of getting rid of a whole race? Well, there were some that have survived. You have to put them somewhere. I mean, there wouldn't be in Israel if there hadn't been the Holocaust. And people think this is so easy, you know, that you put all the Jews into one place and then everything will be okay. But of course, one has forgotten that there were already people living in that particular place. I am very, very critical of what is happening from both sides. And everybody I know, uh, I've got a lot of people living in Israel, uh, you know, relatives, highly critical of what is going on. But it is very easy to criticize Israel if you don't know the background of it. You know, the very few people know what happened in 1948. It makes me very, very sad to also, of course, it gives rise to tremendous anti-Semitism again, but you see, not every Jew is an Israeli, but every Israeli is a Jew. That is another thing that you must always remember. and Something, of course, which is very important to know, actually, what are Jews? You ask somebody, what do you think is a Jew? You will not get a correct answer. Jewish people are people who have been chased out of Palestine hundreds of years, thousands of years ago, went into all directions on this earth, speak different languages, adopted different civilizations. They're all Jews. Now, it's quite possible that I meet an Ethiopian Jew and can't actually talk to him. But we're both Jews, and if Hitler was still around, he'd say, you've got to kill them. Well, this explains why it is so difficult to find a consensus in Israel, because the Jewish people who are sitting in the Knesset, they may all be Jewish, but they come from completely different backgrounds. So Jews are a big problem in themselves, because it's very difficult to find an identity. You see, I'm not at all religious, I don't belong to a congregation, but I'm Jewish. And that would never occur to me to say that I'm not Jewish. But I might meet somebody who's very religious, who thinks I'm a very, very bad Jew, because I don't go to the synagogue. But we're all Jews in the end. And Hitler made no difference. You see, my quarrel is very much with the orthodox people, not just the Jewish orthodox, but all people who exaggerate their backgrounds and their religions etc you know and non, I mean I'm all for being liberal and let everybody do what they feel they are doing but that is a very uphill uh, <laughs> struggle
0: what about that other light motive in your life the cello and music it has of course played a very different role at different times but it's remained a very very important part of your life right Yes, well, I always wanted to be a
1: cellist. I know that the idea of playing the cello and and making music was very, very important to me and I think helped me a lot to get through everything, apart from the fact that it served a very good purpose in Auschwitz. Uh, You see, music for me is something which is so utterly untouchable. I'm actually quite frequently asked, how is it possible that you can still, after all that, play the cello, or that you can listen to music, said, Well, don't think that the Germans were able to kill music. They killed millions of people, they destroyed a whole civilization. But music? They can't destroy that. So for me, music is all something to escape to, you know, to be on an untouchable plane. I think that is the importance of music to me.
0: Anita glasgow bringing us to the end of this week's programme.